0: Scripture will be from Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 17. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sin. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of his transgression of Adam, who is the type of him who was to come. But the, gift, but the free gift is not like of the offense, For by one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift of by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned, for the judgment which came from the offense resulted in condemnation, but the free which came from many offenses resulted in justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in the life through the one Jesus Christ.
1: Thankful to be together again this Lord's Day. We ask that you open your Bibles to the book of Romans in the fifth chapter. That's where we are going to begin our study this afternoon. We are glad to be together once again. And if you were here this morning, then you got the, the bad news. You heard the bleak picture that we are all a part of. We have all sinned, and God has, in His grace, provided the gospel of Jesus Christ to bring salvation. That is leading us to the good news. But how do we get there? Because we demonstrated that the gospel is for everyone. Everyone has a need for the gospel because all have sinned. That is what we sought to accomplish this morning. And we want to continue with our study this afternoon, and we want to consider how is salvation a possible how is it even a possibility that God could redeem and restore and save sinful mankind as we explored that sin is a universal problem It is a worldwide problem it's not just one person that has ever done it it's something that we have all experienced in some fashion or another And really, the solution comes in Jesus Christ. That's why the story of Jesus is so integral to the gospel. That's why we spent so much time looking at how Jesus, how he overcame temptation, and how even uh, his defeat of temptation has given us hope. That's part of the gospel. We looked at his death and the benefits that we've received from his death. But as we want to explore as we ended this morning in Romans chapter 5 and that's where we're going to pick up as we looked at verse 6 and following there where Paul explores this idea that Christ died for us at the precise right time dying for the ungodly that God has demonstrated his love toward us that even while we were yet sinners Christ died for us people who were undeserving of his sacrifice and of his death but through the blood of Jesus there is justification there is salvation there is freedom there is release from the guilt and the condemnation and the death and the judgment that we were deserving of and as Paul continues on in verse 12 in Romans chapter 5 he says therefore just." As through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. What Paul is showing here is that Adam, the first man, he has introduced sin into the world, and because of that, we have all followed suit. We've all followed after him. That he is the prototype, if you will, that he is the first of many duplicates and that we've all have kind of followed in the same pattern or in the same footsteps that Adam introduced for us and that because of his sin death was known and his spiritual death that as God told Adam and Eve that they would surely die if they would eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and they certainly did not they did not die physically that day but they were awakened to know that sin was in their life, that they were not in a right relationship with God. And so what Paul is demonstrating is that spiritual death, spiritual separation has entered into the world. That And when we sin, death occurs. And so all death has spread to all men because all have sinned. A choice was made to sin and to turn away from God. Due to Adam's sin and his rebellion, we see that sin has entered into the world, and that death rules this world. Sin and death both rule this world because everyone has sinned. As Romans chapter three and verse twenty-three said, "For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God." And what you see that in verse fifteen, Paul says, "For the free gift is not like the transgression, transgression or the lawlessness that." When we have violated the law, we have broken the commandment that God has given. And so transgression, lawlessness, unrighteousness, evil, all of that has taken dominion in this world. And so Paul continues on in verse 15, when he says the free gift is not like the transgression, for if by the transgression of the one, the many died. That death has entered into the world. That spiritual death has come into this world because all have sinned. And verse 16, the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For on the one hand, the judgment arose from the one transgression resulting in condemnation. That he's talking about condemnation, judgment, that this is what sin has brought into the world. This is what Adam introduced to this world. That you see that Adam, he brought sin and transgression, death and judgment. Those are the things that we talked about and explored this morning that painted that very bleak picture. But now in Romans chapter 5 and beginning at there at verse 12 through 17 in that section that we read, it can be kind of a convoluted section to read if you're just reading it because what Paul is doing, he's kind of hitting here and, and hitting Adam and then he's going right back and forth like a ping pong ball to talking about Jesus. And so it's kind of this back and forth, Adam, Jesus, Adam, Jesus, Adam, Jesus. And it's kind of convoluted to read because you're kind of having to like, all right, who's he talking about here? And what's he talking about here? And But he's talking about the one who died for the many, who brought us the grace of God, who brought justification. And he talks about that there in verse 16, that the one... On the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions resulting in justification. And Jesus, he brought righteousness where there was lawlessness, where there was death, where there was transgression. Jesus has made us right. And so he says in verse 17, For if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. That Jesus has brought not only righteousness, but He has brought life. That is eternal life. That He is the one who is able to make us spiritually alive before God. Where there was death, where there was judgment, Jesus brings life. And all of this is done through the mechanism of the cross and what Jesus did in giving His blood, in dying for us. That God provided the solution to conquer and defeat sin and death. And as Jesus, as we talked about, Adam is kind of the prototype of humanity and humankind. Jesus is the antithesis of that. Sorry. He is the anti-Adam there. He is the opposite of what Adam brings. He is the one who has brought this free gift of grace. He is the one who has brought justification. He brings life to us. And instead of transgression and disobedience and lawlessness, Jesus has introduced to us righteousness and obedience. He's the one who has introduced grace. Grace. Because God sent His Son into the world to die for people, for all people, as we emphasize this morning. For all sinners. And while the death of Christ and the grace of God are available to everyone, not everyone will answer the call of the gospel to be saved. Now, that is not a limitation on the grace of God. It's not a limitation on the death of Jesus. It's not a limitation on what God is willing to extend. Because God has graciously called everyone, as we talked about this morning, everyone is invited, everyone. God wants to be saved. God desires for everyone to be saved. But there are certain conditions, as we noted in Romans chapter 1 and in verse 16 this morning. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, when Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. There's the condition. that everyone who believes, they are going to be receiving the benefits of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we must come to have faith. We must repent of our sins. If you notice in chapter 2 this morning, in chapter 2 and verse 5, when we talked about those who are in sin and their stubbornness and their unrepentant heart, if you just go back a verse earlier in verse 4, Paul asked this question, or do you think lightly of the riches of His kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? And as we come to hear the offer and the message of salvation, it should prompt us to want to repent of our sins. When we hear the grace of God, it should motivate us to want to turn from this life that brings condemnation and judgment. It should propel us to want to turn to Jesus and to live for Him. Turning away from transgression and Leading a life of obedience and righteousness. And as we have touched on throughout our study this year, we have looked at passages like Romans chapter 10 and verses 9 and 10 when we're to confess Christ as our Lord. We've looked at passages like Romans chapter 6 and verses 3 through 5, where we are to be united with Christ in baptism. So we're to repent and confess and be baptized as a demonstration of our commitment to belief in Jesus. And that's what that means, and therefore we have to live faithfully. In Romans chapter 12 in verses 1 and 2, Paul describes that life of faithfulness that all Christians are bound to live by. trying to get us to understand that as he has been talking about the mercies of God and the grace of God, that this is what it means. It requires this life-altering transformation where we turn our life around and where we begin to serve Him faithfully. It begins with the renewing of our mind, our commitment to a life that we are going to lead away from sin, where we are turning away from it. Where we are embracing the responsibility of living for God. And so as we looked at this morning and talking about all have sinned, this universal solution through Jesus, we have this universal solution to the universal problem that we talked about this morning. That Jesus died for all sinners. And so as the Gospel, as we have talked about, the Gospel is for all. We've been talking about that all year. And as we have looked at, especially this morning, that the whoever passages or whosoever passages, and then the everyone passages, and the commitment to the great commission that Jesus called His apostles to go out and to preach the Gospel to every creature, to all creation, it becomes our responsibility to begin to share the gospel. We have to become proclaimers of the gospel. Sin is a universal problem. And Jesus gave His life to introduce salvation and forgiveness to all people. And therefore, we should want all people to know about the gospel. And what's interesting, at least I find interesting, in the... Greek, the word gospel, it's the word euangelion. And it means just good news, essentially. And it can be good news about anything. It could be good news, hey, I'm inviting you to my birthday party or something like that. It can be used in several different instances. But it's good news. But then the word evangelist, and in our English language, You put the word gospel and the word evangelist up there, they look nothing alike, do they? But in Greek, the word evangelist is certainly related to the word euangelion. It is the word euangelistes. And so the word gospel and the word evangelist, they come from the same Greek family of words an evangelist is really someone who is speaking the Gospel. An evangelist is a gospelizer, if you will. Someone who is proclaiming the Gospel. And as we sometimes think of an evangelist as the person who may you know, be fully supported by the church to preach the Gospel, well, that is an evangelist, but I think all of us are called to share the Gospel. We are all to be... Someone who is proclaiming and talking about the gospel, we're all supposed to be evangelizing and gospelizing, if you will. That we are all supposed to be sharing the gospel because that is what the Great Commission has called us to do. And so, since the gospel is for all, we all have a responsibility to take the gospel with, to everyone. And that's really what I want us to think about the remainder of our time together this evening. I want us to think about that responsibility of sharing the gospel because that's something that many of us find challenging. It's something that's very difficult for us because we have to put ourselves out there a little bit, don't we? We have to be willing, especially in a time where we don't know what we're going to get back from people. We don't know how they're going to treat us. It can deter us because we might think, "Well, I would rather keep a peaceful relationship with this person rather than, you know, drive a, a big old wedge right here and have this elephant in the room every time we're together." And so, when it comes to evangelism, I'm not going to give you like this three-step approach to how to evangelize. I'm not going to do that t- tonight because. Oftentimes don't think that really is effective or works very well. If you want to be able to share the gospel effectively, it begins with wanting to share the gospel with people. It begins with this sincere desire that to see everyone come to be saved by the gospel of Christ. I marvel at Paul's words in Romans chapter 9. I hope you'll turn there with me in Romans chapter 9. At the very beginning of that chapter, just notice what Paul says here. In Romans chapter 9 and in verse 1, he says, I am telling the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit. You know, sometimes whenever someone says, hey, I'm telling you the truth, I'm not lying to you. I'm always a little suspicious at that point, right? I'm always like, if you're telling me the truth, you shouldn't have to tell me that. (laughs) That's what I always kind of think. But here is Paul doing the very thing that would send my, my radars up, you know. But he says that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. And he goes on to talk about the Israelites who are not saved. Now notice, he doesn't just have this desire to see his family to be Christians, does he? I mean, that's part of it. But he's saying, I am willing to be lost. I'm willing to be separated from Christ that they might be saved. That's a whole other level of a desire, isn't it? Who here is willing to cast away their salvation for someone out there in the world that's lost? I don't know if I could raise my hand either. But Paul said he was saying the truth there. He said, I'm not lying. That I would be accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren. If they would come to benefit in the way that He has benefited. It begins with that kind of sincere and intense desire. And if we had that kind of attitude, I bet evangelism would not be nearly as troublesome for us. Because we would want, with every fiber of our being, with every part of our heart and our mind, we would want to make it a regular part of our life to talk to people about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then we have to, secondly, accept the mission that Jesus gave to his apostles. In Matthew chapter 28, in Matthew chapter 28, as we looked at for a little bit this morning, as Jesus claimed to have all authority in heaven and on earth. And then He told His apostles to go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And we noted that there is this teaching element that even after they are baptized into Christ, You have to continue to teach them. And as you continue to teach, there's going to be more people that accept this responsibility that they're going to try to teach others. They're going to try try to baptize others and make more disciples. They're going to continue to teach and it's going to be this development of many disciples, which is exactly what you see in the early church, where in... The book of Acts, in Acts chapters really 1 through 8, you don't, or at 1 through 7, you see the burden of responsibility of preaching and teaching fall to the apostles. But then with the after the stoning of Stephen in Acts chapter 7, and then in Acts chapter 8, because of the persecution of Saul of Tarsus, and the disciples begin to spread out, they begin to scatter. And in Acts chapter 8 it says, therefore, in verse 4, therefore those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. Now other disciples are beginning to accept the responsibility and the burden of preaching and teaching. It's not just falling to the apostles. All disciples are accepting it. And what's fascinating is as you continue on in the book of Acts as you read, if you just kind of cut out chapter 8 and... Really from there, the rest of chapter 8 and chapter 9 and chapter 10 and most of chapter 11. If you get to Acts chapter 11 and verse 19, Luke picks up that same thread right there. Luke is kind of notorious for leaving a, a thread and then he comes back to it later. And in Acts chapter 11 and verse 19, he picks up with that thread in Acts 8 and verse 4. And so he says, "...So then those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except to Jews alone. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. And so what you see in the early disciples that as they begin to accept this mission, they begin to broaden out who the Gospel is spoken to. It's not just to the Jews only, but also to the Gentiles. You see, congregations accept the Great Commission. Congregations of the Lord's people, they begin to send out missionaries like Paul and Barnabas. The church at Antioch, they uh, in Acts 13, they send out Paul and Barnabas to go to other parts of the world to preach the gospel and so when we talk about the gospel being for all and when we talk about evangelism so many times we talk about the individual element that when we try to say hey everyone in the pews they need to be sharing the gospel you need to talk with your friends and your neighbors we also have the congregational commitment that we need to make to evangelism We need to determine as a congregation that we want to be a light to the world. We want to be those who spread the gospel and take the gospel to other parts of the world. There's a congregational element in evangelism as well. And then as we are striving to teach the gospel and preach the gospel to others, to those who are lost, we also cannot neglect ourselves We have to continue to encourage one another. We have to be unified. We have to pursue spiritual growth and unity and maturity amongst the Lord's people. In Philippians chapter 1 and verse 27, when Paul wrote there to the church at Philippi. In Philippians chapter 1, and verse 27, he said, "...only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the Gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the Gospel." And so Paul, he's admonishing the church there to remain unified, to have this one singular mindset there's one goal and work to achieve that goal. And you can see in the book of Philippians that they were committed to the preaching of the Gospel. Paul would describe them as his partners in the Gospel. What a compliment. They were partnering with him, working together to share the Gospel. As a congregation, we need to be the kind of people that we want to share the Gospel, but we also want to encourage each other. And we want to say, hey, who are you sharing the Gospel with? How can I help you? How can I help you share the Gospel with these people? That's part of the mission that we have been given. And as we grow and as we become more spiritually mature. And as we speak about the gospel and as we share the good news of Jesus Christ, we will find ourselves being capable of sharing the gospel more often, more zealously and more fervently to friends and family and neighbors about their need to obey the gospel, won't we? one of the things that holds so many people back from sharing the gospel is a lack of knowing what to say or knowing where to begin And there's no shame in that that's why we have each other that's the first point on this particular chart we have each other we can encourage each other we can help each other but hopefully as we ourselves are committed to growing as a disciple as we gain more knowledge we're going to be more zealous or we're going to be more fervent in our desire to preach the gospel I'm reminded of what Peter would say in first Peter chapter three in first Peter chapter 3 and in verse 15 as Peter was describing our relationship with the world and how we need to live And he said, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. When we need to be ready to tell people why it is that we believe what we believe. In our class... On Colossians, in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 5, Paul said, conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. And it was brought out and observed by the comment that that night that... We, should, we need to watch how we behave and what we say and how we say it towards those who are outside because we want outsiders to become insiders, don't we? And so we need to develop this desire to share. And as we're growing, as we are becoming more fervent in our love for God, we're also going to become more fervent in our love to share the gospel in wanting others to be saved and what we see sadly is that some refuse the offer of salvation in Romans chapter 10 In Romans chapter 10 and in verse 16, as Paul has been talking about the need for preaching the gospel and describing those who preach the gospel as being a very blessed people, and he says in verse 15, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. But then he says in verse 16, however... They did not all heed the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? One of the most difficult things about sharing the gospel and opening ourselves up is that we are going to open ourselves up to rejection. There are going to be people who do not want to hear what we have to offer. And you know what you do when you face that you just pick up and move on it doesn't mean that you don't love them it doesn't mean that you don't want them to be saved you mean it means that you continue to pray for them and pray for another opportunity where people that person might be willing to listen but right now, if you face rejection, it's a closed door. You don't beat the door down. <laughs> you don't go in and you don't be ugly and mean. You just move on. You go knock on another door. Not literally, you can do that literally if you want to, but I'm talking metaphorically here. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus told his Apostles, as he was sending them out in the limited commission to the, house, to the cities of Israel, to the house of Israel. In Matthew chapter ten, this is what Jesus told his apostles. In verse fourteen, he said, "Whoever does not receive you, nor heed your words, as you go out of that house or that city, shake the dust off your feet. Just kind of knock it off, let it, let it go." Truly I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. In Acts chapter 13, as Paul and Barnabas, they had been sent out. They had come to Antioch of Pisidia. And they were preaching and teaching in the synagogue. And people were listening. People were wanting to come to know more about what they were speaking about, but then there, were, there was this element of people who did not like what Paul was preaching. And so a persecution began against Paul and Barnabas, and they drove them out of the city. And you know what Paul and Barnabas do? They don't remain obstinate and ugly and say, well, we're just going to stay right here where we're unwelcomed. to. <laughs> Oh, verse 51. But they shook off the dust of their feet in protest against them, and they went to Iconium. When we face rejection, it's a closed door. You move on. Because there will be fertile ground somewhere else. It's sad. Your heart can break. You might find yourself like Paul, saying, I wish that I myself were accursed and separated from Christ, that they would be saved. But you move on. And then, when you find that fertile ground of people who are willing to come to accept the gospel, it makes it that much sweeter in so many ways in Luke chapter 15 and in verse 7 and in verse 10 and in verse 32 in three different parables the parable of the lost sheep the parable of the lost coin and the parable of the prodigal son or the lost son we have three things that were lost they were both they were all found And with each one, there is celebration, there is rejoicing. In verse 7 of Luke chapter 15, through the parable of the lost sheep, at the conclusion of that, Jesus says, I tell you, in the same way there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. In verse 10, in the same way, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And in verse 32, the very last verse, at the end of the parable of the prodigal son, but we had to celebrate and rejoice for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live and was lost and has been found. When we find someone who's willing to receive the Gospel in in their sincerity, their desire to please God, when they obey Christ it is an occasion of great joy rejoice, celebrate enjoy that moment I'm kind of a sports guy I like watching sports of just about any kind and I was listening to the radio broadcast of the Chiefs on the way here they barely got that one. But then they talked about how they were going to celebrate in the locker room because they clinched the division. And that they were going to have T-shirts and hats and all that kind of fun stuff. And they were and they were just kind of talking about what the coach might say, hey, enjoy this one, have fun with this one, but then tomorrow it's back to work because the season's not over yet. Enjoy the moment. When someone comes to become a child of God, enjoy that moment. If we can celebrate and get so excited over people winning the Super Bowl or the World Series, then I think we could give a little bit more attention and joy to the moment when a person becomes a child of God and has their sins washed away. We need to be people who celebrate and rejoice in those moments. Because that's what it's all about, isn't it? Sharing the gospel with everyone. Yes, we will face rejection, but there is so much reason to rejoice when just one sinner repents and comes back to the Lord. So we need to begin to take it seriously in sharing the gospel with all. Because everyone needs the gospel. We have been exploring this year about the gospel. It's not just been about trying to gain better knowledge. It's about trying to live it out. To demonstrate the gospel in our life. Taking with zeal and gladness the responsibility to live in a way that's pleasing to God to share the gospel with everyone, sharing the gospel with those who are in sin and need the salvation of Jesus Christ. We want to admonish each other to always be faithful and to live in a way that's worthy of the gospel. We want to encourage those who are listening and who have never responded in obedience to the gospel. We want you to listen. We want you to be obedient to the Christ to the gospel of Christ and the call of our Savior. He died for you. He gave his life so that you might live. The gospel is good news. Freedom from condemnation and judgment and guilt. To enjoy life everlasting. The hope of eternal life with God our Savior. That is the best news I could ever imagine. And if you come in obedience tonight, we will rejoice with the angels of God, with God himself. If you come in obedience to Christ, to have your sins washed away, you can become a new child of God this evening if you have made that commitment but you've not been living for the Lord, you've not been living in a way that would be pleasing to God and you've not been living worthy of the gospel, we urge you to repent and come back to the Lord before it's eternally too late. We want to encourage you. We want to help you. That is what we are here for. We can help you in some way tonight. Would you come now as we stand and as we sing?